you want to spend two months in Italy and live in a villa. But then all of a sudden you want to be philanthropic and you want to donate some money each year. Can you do that? I don't know. So these variables, these conversations, they need to go on a spreadsheet with software, yeah. period, end of story. Right. Iterate it, look at scenarios, get your head out of the sand, get a little bit more clarity, have that glass of wine and figure it out. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My book, Relentless, is now available everywhere books can be bought online, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Try your local indie bookstore too, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Just ask them. The reviews are streaming in, and I'm so thankful for the positive feedback, as well as hearing from people that my memoir has impacted them positively. It is not enough to be resilient. You have to be relentless. You can go to therelentlessbook.com for more information. Thank you so much. Justin Crane is a certified financial planner in the Los Angeles area and is the founder of Crane Financial Solutions. He's known for his savvy, holistic approach to financial planning and advises his clients on how to unite their business and personal money with their lives. We talk about the number one mistake he sees entrepreneurs make in their planning if he's focused on cryptocurrency and his unique strategy for growth. Now let's get right into it. I always knew that I'd be an entrepreneur. I didn't always know that I'd be a financial advisor. I knew I would be in with investments doing something, but I didn't know that I'd be managing other people's money. Interesting. How do you feel about managing other people's money? Fine. I love it. It takes the burden off of them, puts a little bit of the responsibility on me, and it allows me to be their rock, you know, just someone who can hold the space of financial responsibility mm -hmm. and also accountability. How many clients does your firm have this year? One million dollars. <laughs> More like one billion, I hope. Yeah, no, no. 175 households. Okay. Interesting. Yes. I don't know much about your world. I have a wealth advisor. You can tell me, you can tell the audience. They have yeah. 75 families at a billion dollars. Um, wow. Is that, that okay? That's great. That's that amazing. What yeah. No. Um, yeah. This is in the San Francisco Bay Area. So sure. What do you think is the number one mistake you see for entrepreneurs? What are they making a mistake in planning for their finances and retirement? I know it's all tied up. Yeah. But what do you go? Oh, I think it's a combination of being reactive, not proactive mm -hmm. with money. And they don't have the clarity and they're guessing with money, both on their personal and business side. So if you don't have clarity, how can you be proactive if you don't even know what you're looking at? You're more putting out fires and dealing with a tax payment or a retirement contribution or some mortgage you have to pay or payroll than you're guessing. But if you kind of knew more about what was going on and were committed to looking forward and being like, hmm, where do I want to be in a year and what am I going to do to make that happen? Mm -hmm. That's, I think, the hardest thing for entrepreneurs because we don't get paid every two weeks like someone who works at GE. Well, I mean, I get paid every two weeks. 
yes, but a lot of entrepreneurs, they might take a salary from their business, but primarily a lot of entrepreneurs' income isn't streamlined and smooth. It could be lumpy or all over the place or up or down or who knows what. And, and do you suggest to entrepreneurs to take a very consistent, high paying salary, like they are a CEO of another company so that yeah. all these things are remedied? The lumpy. Yeah, I think a salary is important because it changes the narrative that the business is serving your financial life your personal financial life is not serving the business. So if you're on payroll, that's a good thing. You're paying yourself first and you need to set aside the money to do that. And then you're operating with what's left rather than hoping that you have enough to pay yourself. What would you say to the entrepreneur who pays themselves, let's say $50,000 a year because they don't want to put the rest of what they could be making. Let's say they really should be making 150 or 200,000. They don't want it to go into social security and all that stuff. So the question is like for someone who's running a business, if they're not paying themselves a high enough salary and they're playing the game of, oh, I don't want to pay payroll taxes and stuff like that. That's okay. So I'm going to say, I don't know, but I'm going to say what I really think they should do <laughs> because it's a question that really a CPA should answer because a lot of entrepreneurs will pay themselves a large payroll and do the tax withholding from that payroll to satisfy the withholding for the entire year. Because if you do payroll, it's as if you paid it streamlined throughout the whole year. But if you do estimated tax payments with a small payroll, you have to make sure that you're committed to making those estimated tax payments, blah, 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 blah. But generally entrepreneurs, if you're running an established business, you need to get the payroll high enough so you can maximize your retirement contributions right. and not have to give it all to I don't want to say not to your employees, but you want it to be a fair mix and you want to be able to benefit from that. And if you have a small salary, you can't. Do you work with your clients on both their business finances and planning and holding back and investments and their personal or yeah. really just on their personal? Yeah. So I'd say about 70% of my clients, I will just do their personal. 30%, I will do business and personal. The reason why is, is I'm sure you've hit this with someone on your show and just as an entrepreneur, you have to have a scalable business. If your business isn't scalable, then it's going to be very, very hard to have a good work-life balance to be able to put money away for yourself. So if I was involved in a hundred people's business and money finances, I, I mean, I could do that. It's not enough time of the day. But so I go team, a third. Correct. Or, yes, or I have people the, that I have people right. that work for me, but I've made the decision and it's always a decision I think about and talk about both with people that coach me and advise me and my staff is what kind of business model do I want to have? You know, like a law firm can have 20 partners and 50 paralegals and the partners manage the paralegals and they play that game of what do they bill out? What do they pay? And blah, blah, blah. I've made the decision that I don't want that. I don't want to have to manage three other financial advisors. I just don't. So more the work falls onto my plate. I'm okay with it. But what my challenge is, is how can I create the right support and structure for me so that I can continue to grow? And right. that's like, I'm an open book. I mean, like, that's my thing right now. That's what I'm working on, yeah. creating a better support system. That's something to consider because we're in EO together and there's a lot of talk about scaling and growth. And I was just at a program where they're trying to get all of us to a billion dollars in that's what the MIT is for. I don't want a billion dollar business necessarily 
pretty 99% sure I don't want that, but I want to know how to get it because I like the information. But there's that other side is that you can have a lifestyle business and nothing's wrong with that. You can have something between a lifestyle business and a scaling and growing almost billion dollar business. And there's, I mean, there's probably some things wrong with that. No, I'm kidding. And I just want to kind of reframe that as entrepreneurs, yes, we're hungry. We have a lot of energy. We love shiny objects. And there is a lot of talk about scale and growth and like that is the ultimate but there's also that life family side of yeah. things, right? So yeah. I want to go back to entrepreneurs and what their number one mistake is. What should we be looking at? How can we figure out? I mean, like crystal ball, we just have, we've got 10% now inflation. So when I retire yeah. in 15 years, do you know how much money I'll really need to make based on what I'm living on now? How do you figure that out? Yeah. Okay. So. I've got two parts that really what you're asking me is like, based on this problem of clarity and guessing and being reactive and not proactive, how do you deal with that? And it's like, if you ever, I don't know about you, but like, I've thought about running a marathon and I run like two, three, four miles a day. And now if you're like, Hey, you need to run a marathon tomorrow. That's like insane. So you have to work up to it. And even if you go from four miles to five miles, that's still a win. It doesn't have to be all on you. You can hire a nutritionist. You can hire a running coach or whatever. So I'm all about progress and momentum. I think that's what people need. So how should you go about doing that? If you're like, what do I need to live and blah, blah, blah. First, I think you have to understand how do you like to learn and where do you get overwhelmed and where are you going to just shut down when people give you information? You're going to be like, this is too much for me. Do you need to have a glass of wine on a couch? Do you like to look at charts and pie graphs? You like to talk on the phone and not do Zoom? Like, what is it that you like to do and how? And who can teach that to you in a way that's not going to paralyze you and make you feel like you actually can run five miles instead of running four? So I would say just chip away at one thing, like a simple thing for an entrepreneur. And then I'll hit the retirement part is just how much cash did your business generate in a year? And that's on January 1st, you had this amount of money in the bank. December 31st, you had this amount of money in the bank. Where did the money go? And any financial advisor that focuses on business money or a CFO or maybe a bookkeeper, probably a CPA too, they can tell that to you. So that's that. You have any comments on that or you want me to go to the other part of your question? No, I mean, I'm right there with you. And then as far as the cash is, and I learned this last week, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're looking at profit and loss. We're looking at what is our net income? Yeah. We really need to be looking at, of course, that. But what is the cash? How much yes. out of all accounts do we have? We could have a profit and no cash. Yes. That work? Let's yes. not talk about it now. Yes. Go ahead with your yes. next one. So the second part is, it's about clarity. And I'm sure this has happened to you. Should I buy those shoes? They're 400 bucks. But if I buy those shoes and I'm going on vacation and I'm spending 500 a night over here, but then am I going to be able to pay business class over here for that ticket? I probably don't know if I should be doing all that. I need to put more money away for retirement. I really wanted to pay my mortgage down. And I saw my friend on Facebook working three days a week and making all this money and living the best life. What am I supposed to do and how do I get there? So we have 9 million mental conversations with ourselves a day 
around money. Now I'm making that up, of course. You but, are because that would kill us all. But yeah, but what I'm talking about is as soon as you introduce maybe three variables around money in your head, you can't compute and have any clarity on what that would look like in five years or 10 years. So let's role play with me. You're going to need $20,000 a month to live on. No, you're going to need $10,000 a month to live on. If you save $40,000 a year and you sell your business for X, can you get that? Oh, but wait a minute. You want to spend two months in Italy and live in a villa. But then all of a sudden you want to be philanthropic and you want to donate some money each year. Can you do that? I don't know. So these variables, these conversations, they need to go on a spreadsheet with software, yeah. period, end of story. Right. Iterate it, look at scenarios, get your head out of the sand, get a little bit more clarity, have that glass of wine mm -hmm. and figure it out. So there's no one number for any of us. I think some people think, oh, I have a million dollars in my retirement fund or savings or whatever, and that should do it for me. For a lot of no. people, you know, that would work. It depends on how old, I mean, Somebody just told me their father's almost turning a hundred. Yeah. Life expectancy. Yeah. Like, okay. That's who knows. Maybe just depends on the style of living. Okay. For we're sure. going to switch gears here. Okay. How cool. do you feel about investing in crypto? I have no idea. No clue. I don't even get it. I have no <laughs> opinion. I don't invest in it for my clients. I'm not even going down that path because I don't feel like I completely understand it. And I know I can Google it and understand it that way, mm -hmm. but until it's really regulated more, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to say, do that on your own. Yeah. Funny and money, play money. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, it's a good lesson for all of us. Like it's okay to say no and to really not know everything. Right. Well, okay. Along those lines, I'm going to make the assumption and you can correct me that you are not dabbling in the world of NFTs. No, I kind of know what it is, but like, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of getting into that. Yeah. So if I were your client and I would say, hey, I'm interested in crypto. I mean, there are major financial institutions that are taking this on as a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would refer it out. I have referred it out. Yeah. And so that's what you do. You totally. would say, absolutely do not do that. It's too risky. It's not mature enough. It's not stabilized. You would say, hmm. I'm not the expert on that specific yeah. thing. Here's somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Until the SEC re really regulates it and gets it more, just way more regulation, like my E&O insurance, I don't even think it covers that. I doubt if it would. Right. Got to protect yourself and your advice, yeah. right? So How about was, you? What do you think? Yeah. I've invested a little bit to experience it. Mm -hmm. Not certainly on a whim to make money. I'm not saying, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm going to be rich. Same with NFTs. I've invested in one. I own an NFT and I have some coins from Gary Vaynerchuk, who's really leading a bunch of entrepreneurs on the yeah. NFT trail. Yeah. I mean, at one point when I was starting to learn about this and ETH was affordable to me, right? One Ethereum. It's not something that I would go for, you know, I wouldn't invest in one whole Ethereum yeah. right now, but there are people that I know from EO even that have bought like a $200,000 crypto punk or whatever. And that's also their life and their lifestyle. They're gamers and they're risk takers in a different way than I am, but I'm the kind of person who wants to delve in and learn as much about things that are interesting to me, mm -hmm. but I don't have to 
sink my whole life savings and everything that I'm interested in. Totally. Yeah. So let's talk about what is your definition? This was interesting that I read that you noted return on life. So I think what it is, is so at the end of the day, we're going to look back on our life and we're probably going to, from what I hear that people do is, is they look at their experiences and they evaluate their life that way. And and maybe a little bit about legacy. And I think if you use your money, that's congruent with what your values are and kind of like grow on that with experiences, you're going to have a return on your life. And I think people that are just looking at just a return on investment without it being put in the context of what they want to make them happy and what drives them, it's like you're living in a world of a vacuum and it's a much better way to go about where you feel good about the decisions that you make. You feel good about how you spend your money and how you save it. And it's a great ride. It's a good experience rather than like just looking at how much money you make or just how much you spend. I think it's about return on life. Totally. I like that thought process. And I met someone recently who's quite young, younger than I am. And he was just hell bent on making 20 or $30 million in the market, like speculating. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked and he was just so like wrenched with, I don't know, fear and I'm thinking, well, what the heck are you going to do with that much money? What is that about? And if you make 30 versus 25, like, does it change you? Right. So in your walk of life, I'm wondering, do you work with a lot of entrepreneurs that have the sense that you were just talking about that life and experiences trump, oh God, why did I use that word? Overpower the ROI. And are those people happier in your vant from your vantage point? So- let me ask you this. You're now my guest on your show. Fine enough. Do you think it's easy to change people's way that they think? Or do you think they need to come to their own conclusion on themselves, by themselves, based on their own experiences? I'm personally shaped by the ones of my own experience with the help at the right time, right place of the prompting of other people in their thought leadership. Yeah. Let's say that you have a really, really good friend and they have breast cancer and they had a serious, serious scare or it's your cousin Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my God, that could be me. All of a sudden it's a game changer for you because you realize that life is fragile. Maybe you do want to take that vacation. Maybe you do want to donate to charity. Maybe you do want to just go for a walk on the beach and not work one day or whatever, but it's going to be that much more real to you because you have an experience that you can identify with versus just telling someone that they need return on life. It's like, what does that mean? Right. But as soon as they see a friend, it becomes that much more real to them. They can internalize it and make financial decisions that they feel are good for them and look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm doing it. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it. Okay. So it's unfortunate. The next question I want to talk about actually has to do with money, but it's okay. That's all right. No, bring it on. All right. But compounding of interest. I didn't love that. Anything about it. Nothing about it. And I mean, nothing about it until maybe when my daughter was in elementary school, Mm -hmm. I may have just started getting, I think I was being educated by Susie Ormond actually at that point. Yeah. Still had very little money myself. And I remember trying to tell my daughter Bennett about investing and why she shouldn't 
specifically run up bills on credit cards and to pay them off so she doesn't have to pay like that thing that cost a hundred dollars that you put on your credit card ends up costing 126 right that kind of a thing and then started talking to her about compound interest and she's like yeah mom i know about that i'm like yeah okay so bring it on what do you want to talk about so my daughter so she's 17 and the whole compounding of interest is like you invest a hundred dollars a month in 40 years you'll have four billion dollars right all of that so you tell someone who's 17 about a 40-year compounding of interest and they're not about 40 years they're about how many snapchat likes do i have right now and like where am i going to dinner tonight so we now live in a world of everything right now (laughs) like everything is right now and the whole thing with compounding of interest is lots and lots of time and being patient and not reacting to the BS of the media on panicking people about anything. It's about just investing really for the long term. I know that's so hokey, but that's, I mean, Warren Buffett, I listened to this podcast interview by, his first name is Morgan. He wrote a book called The Psychology of Money. He was on Tim Ferriss's show and he talked about, and I bought his book and I read it. It's about Warren Buffett. Like Warren Buffett's, it's the wrong percentage, but like 60% of Warren Buffett's net worth happened after he was age 65. Yeah. And he's because in his 80s now? I think he's 90. I think oh. because what happened was he had invested for so long and the compounding kicked in. I'm making this in years 30 to 40. And that's where, but people nowadays, it's like they want everything right now. And I think the world needs a little bit more perspective and long term structure and compounding on a lot. I mean, did you become successful overnight? No, it's the Picasso napkin $50,000 cartoon drawing spiel. Right. I love compounding of interest. Love it. Yeah. Okay. I see that. I love that. But I will tell you, I understand it. And I'm older than my daughter, who's 26. And you're older than your daughter that's 17. Clearly, of course you have to be, but (laughs) I still want things in the moment. And I still have to talk myself down. I guess I'm old enough to have that. I want it in the moment, but then there is a voice that eventually kicks in at some point. (laughs) The voice of reason, right? Yeah. But younger people, I remember when I was working in my early twenties and had a 401k, I, I couldn't fathom why I would put something in an account that I wouldn't be able to get out until way longer. And of course, you know, a little bit about my background. That was not how I was yeah back. yeah no for right. sure absolutely i mean you want you're like how am i going to survive today right but i think as you age and this really happened to me after my father passed away is that you see that you're mortal and you're not going to live forever mm-hmm. and as you get older you see that and the thing that i tell people is in fact i never really realized this but i've bridged the gap for them so if you're 20 years old and you're thinking about, I don't know where I'm going to be when I'm 65. That's crazy. But here's something that I think a lot of the millennials can grasp. At some point, you're going to be married. You might have a house and you might have kids. They'll get that. They're like, okay, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, when you're married with kids and you're changing diapers and you're 30 years old or 40, you're going to have a busier life with more obligations and it's going to be harder to save because you're going to be spending money on other things as well. So imagine being 45 and having had put money away and got that compounding for 20 years. And then I just make it up like instead of putting away $20,000 for your retirement, 
What if you only had to put away 13,000 and you could take that 7,000 and go buy shoes with it or a vacation or like relentless books, whatever it is. <laughs> right. And they're like, oh, that's cool. You mean I won't be so stressed out when I'm 35 and married with two little tykes? Yeah, they get that. And that's what gets them going. Bring it a little closer to where yes. they are now. I yeah. love that. Okay, here's a hard question. It might be super easy, but do you take your own advice? Most of the time, yes. I did this one, this return on life three years ago. So my daughter, I was taking her to Italy and the trip got canceled because my dad passed away around that time. So we put it on hold. And then I knew that one of our best friend's kids was going to be bar mitzvah in Israel. And I'm like, I got to do it. Like That's it was close, so hard. Way, it's a four hour flight from Israel to Italy, yeah. but I'll let you continue. They were separate trips. My wife's <laughs> like, you're flying with us. You're not going with our daughter and coming home and all, you know, like you're coming home and we're going to go as a family. So it was really, really hard for me to spend the money to take my daughter to Italy, to come back, to take our whole family to Israel and London. It was very, very hard for me to spend the money. It just felt hard, but I knew I was doing something that I could live with. And now looking back with three years of COVID and or two, whatever, not people traveling, I'm like, that was a great decision. So I had to make a decision that was right for me, even though it was a little bit painful, it was a good thing. So do I follow my advice most of the time? Yes. Yeah. Are you set for retirement? Am I set for retirement? So I got divorced when I was 40. So when you get divorced, I don't care how wealthy you are, it's a reset. So am I set for retirement? 100% no. Am I on my way? Totally. You have your plan. I have a plan. I know how much I need to put away. I have a business. It produces income. I've got a plan on saving. I'm diversified. And I know that I'm going to be okay. But I had to get right in the beginning at age 40 of like, okay, you can do this, go again. <laughs> but you got to persevere and you got to stick to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So about your business, you have a couple of people on your team. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. How big is your team? It's three. So I have one VA and two staff members. Okay. What do you do with the small team for culture and core values and stickiness and Make yeah. sure that they're with you like for as long as you can keep them. Yeah, I think it's about learning and growing and finding out what it is that they want to do to learn and grow. I also think financial is important in some respect so that they're happy with that. But look, with COVID, it's been hard. I mean, they're now still remote and we're working on bringing them back into the office. But how do you encourage growth and community and culture in a COVID world where you're not together every day and where you can't even get together. So my way is to be real and to share with them what I'm doing and ask them what's important to them and give some of that to them. Because mm -hmm. what's important to you may not have any bearing on what's important to them and they vice versa, they may not understand. So that's great that you're able to really ask the question and not just make the assumption. For sure. Yeah. And then lastly, I want to talk about your strategy within your business to grow, to attract new, better, bigger clients or whatever you're doing. Is there one thing you're really just focused on learn the middle of the year for the rest of the year? Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I come back to, and it's a total work in progress for us, is the client's experience. Mm. Every single way that we touch them, what's happening? 
period. How does the email look when they read an email from us? Good for you. Yeah. I just want to stop for applause because I haven't really heard that from, I mean, I think I've interviewed over 70 episodes have aired Yeah. and no one has responded with that. And I very much appreciate that. And Thank I'm you. all about experience design and it is important to me. So you're like talking. Yeah. So here's an example. <laughs> we spent a week on this. And if my clients are listening, great. We don't know yet if we're going to pull it off, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyways, because it'll be after the fact. So we got Father's Day coming up. So yes. we have everyone's fault. We know, and we did for Mother's Day, we sent a, one of those face masks in a cart. Everyone loved it. I'm like, they're not going to like that. And my two what staff. What do you mean face masks? You mean the, like the, yes. the snail gooey ones? That the you thing put on? you put on your face and you, and like, and they're like, no, you, everyone's going to love it. Everyone's going to love it. <laughs> so. We sent it and I, everyone was like, thank you. This was great. And I'm like, so first of all, I kind of, I kind of asked my staff about that. And now for the dads, we're trying to get this chocolate bar to be able to go in an envelope with a really cool dad image and like funny saying to go in the card, but we've tested it out and the thing breaks and it might melt. And we're like, yeah. oh my God, what Plus are we doing? Order a lot of them. Well, right? so we first, we tested it and we got one, but it broke in the mail. And then we just went and we bought a Hershey bar and we tried to put it in and we tested that and it melted. So we're like, we're not doing that. So we got another one, which we're working on, but I also have a very, very curated getting to know you process with interview questions. Mm -hmm. And we're now really working on managing the data. So it's the client experience that, and we're like a four out of 10 on this. Like we got to get to like a six. And then a seven and then an eight. Are but you that's following a, anybody's guidelines? Are you making this up as you go? Totally making it up as I go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You probably know of this person. I think he's an EO or was. I think he is John Rulin. Yeah. Giftology. Giftology. Yeah. That's a book that I have to read. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. Like I just hired a business development manager for the first time ever for entire productions. And she was talking about what she did in her past job. And for some reason, it got to gifting and how you gift. And I was like, listen, yeah. we're not giving gifts at Christmas and on birthdays and yeah. as a thank you for business. I learned that through John Rulin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is part of that experience design and that authentic connection to clients. Now, the not other thing say, is, no client is getting a happy birthday wish from me, but. Yeah. Like, and also I'm in a regulated industry. I can't like go send a gift card for $400 to someone. Can you send give, a Cutco knife? Yeah, exactly. Like I can't, <laughs> there's limits on what you can do in ways, you know, that you have to be on the up and up and play by the rules, which we do. But I also think like, it's important to be clever. That's the word that I like. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, how did they think of that? Where did they get that? Like if I get a bottle of wine from someone, I don't drink Pass. white. I don't, I don't drink, drink white. at all. But, I get a lot of wine. Yeah. But when they send me, I'm like, did they take the time to look? So we get a lot of people knocking on our doors to promote whatever it is for on their uh, their stuff on our clients and i probably turned down most of it because it's not well thought out yeah 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 justin is there anything else that you want to talk about that we did not approach during this time together i just want to say i had so much fun watching you sing and read your book and i was in the back mm. but i felt like and I don't know why I was in the back. Maybe it's just because I was sitting in the back or maybe I went to the bathroom and then you came on stage and I'm like, I don't want to interrupt you. But I felt like I was literally right in front of you. 
and your music and your voice, even the guy playing with you, that just everything was great. And, you know, sometimes connecting with people happens in a different way than you're expecting. We didn't have a one-on-one really those two days. No. Yeah, no, no. But look at us now. And I also think sometimes things happen for a reason. And sometimes, I don't know, there's more to that. Like relentless to me, it's a deep word for me. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. 